Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. So over the last four and a half years of doing this podcast, a radio show, two of our top three all-time highest hit shows have been about millennials. So check out Ryan Jenkins and Lee Carraher. Even though those were years ago, they're still getting hits regularly. And I have to tell you, every time I run a session with managers, every time I'm coaching a manager, particularly a Gen X manager, the millennial topic comes up and it generates enormous discussion and high levels of frustration, sometimes a good bit of anger, I have to admit, if I'm honest about it. So we speculated about why that's the case on this show. And I know there's a lot of consulting reports out there that says, what do millennials want and why are they that way and uh, all sorts of things. So I thought, rather than continuing to speculate about it, that we should go directly to the source and talk to two millennials and find out what they think. What do they want from their managers and from their companies? What works and what doesn't? And you may be surprised by the responses. So first off, I encourage you to suspend judgment because they do have a point of view. It may not be your point of view, but it's a point of view that has some legitimacy along the way. So my guest today is, first off, is Alex Trahi. Alex is a healthcare data scientist and technologist with 10 years of industry experience in health plans and pharmaceutical companies. He's published research on the clinical and cost effectiveness of a variety of products, and he brings deep expertise in modern statistical methods combined with claims and clinical data to study interventions in a real-world setting. Boy, that's a mouthful on that one. Um, Alex has his uh, was is doing his MBA at MIT at Sloan and also as a graduate of Duke University. Currently working with, um, I'm going to say it incorrectly, Alex, tell me again the name of your company and welcome to the show. Thank you. It's uh, Algorex Health Technologies. Algorex Health Technologies. And it's a, is it a new company? I mean, how long has this company been existing? It is. The company's about three years old, and we work on evaluating um, social determinants of health for large health plans and hospital systems. Okay. So consulting kind of orientation, and you're the data scientist there. Am I correct? Correct. Yeah, we think of ourselves as a data science as a service company, and I do some of that data science. Fabulous. All right. So that's what you do. Tell me just a tiny little bit more about you as a person. Yeah, so I've been, I live in Boston. I've been here for about uh, 10 years. Um, you know, I've done, I, th- I think the sort of defining characteristic for me, I play ultimate Frisbee on the side um, and travel around the country to play that. Um, so there's always a, a kind of competing need from work um, and an outside interest. Um, you know, I think I'm, I've been thinking about healthcare for a long time, but, you know, mostly interested in, in data and you know, I like the, the smaller company side of things versus the huge companies, um, and I've been in the kind of startup world for about 10 years as well. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Now, you've done some work in large companies in the early years, yeah? 
In the early years, yeah. I, I did an internship um, when I was in undergrad at IBM, which is a huge company, and I really disliked that one. Um, and then moved into consulting where we had just under a 1,000 people at the, the company overall, um, and then have been started at a company called Wellframe, where you know I was person number six, went up to about 100, um, and now at another company, Algrex Health, which is, you know again, about eight people right now. Okay, fabulous. Excellent. And Ultimate Frisbee, I won't ask you any further questions about that. I know how much of a passion that one is. All right, so tell me what you want in a manager or an employee. What keeps you at a company? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I think the managers that I like are ones that care about me as a person and care about the kind of holistic interests I have um, outside of just the job. Um, I've had some managers that you know, really want me to, to, to do well at work and to produce output, and that's great. Um, but there are plenty of managers who can do that well. Um, and the other things in my life are interesting as well. You know, Ultimate Frisbee is a big part of it. Um, you know, travel or kind of seeing, you know, lots of different things, learning about the world that is not just my job. Um, and having a manager who knows that and cares about that and knows that I'm going to be a better employee and a better person for having those interests is, is what's going to keep me motivated and, and loyal to a company. Okay. Now, are we talking about you need, you're not going to work your hours or, you know, you're not going to produce at given points? Or are we talking about somebody who just cares and ask a question about it? No. I mean, I think the it's authentic caring, right? I mean, it's, it's easy to mm-hmm. coach a manager to say, oh, just ask about their weekend. And, you know, you've heard somebody ask, how was your weekend 100,000 times, and it's not that interesting. Um, it's someone who legitimately cares about you as a person and your development. So I, I think, you know, to your earlier question, though, it's not about not doing the work or just giving time off. It's just about interest. You know, I think those things matter, but work matters too. Um, you know, those are, that's a part of my life as, as much as others, and I want, I want to be invested in it and care about it and have outcomes that, that matter there. Um, but, it, you know, there's other things that happen too, and I think often you find people who don't really understand those interests are there until you have a family. Um, you know, if, if there's a, a spouse and kids at home, it's a pretty easy, oh, you need to go home and take care of them. I think that makes, that there's nothing wrong with that and that makes a lot of sense, but, you know, I'm not there. Um, but I have other interests in life and that, that's kind of what I want a manager to care about. That those, those pieces of my life matter too. Okay. All right. Now, what is it that um, frustrates you? What do managers do that just annoys you? Yeah, uh, I think managers for me are ones that I like are ones that can produce output or are willing to kind of get in the weeds and do things um, and not just tell me what to do. You know, that doesn't mean they have to be doing it every day. I understand there's more ways to create value and, um, you know, trying to connect pieces across the organization and think about the vision. Those are really critical pieces. Um, But I like to work for a manager who understands what it really takes to get something done and is willing to do it if that's the best opportunity there. Um, I've had managers before who don't really want to engage with it and don't want to understand the depth of it or what's good and what's bad about a piece of work, and they just want to tell you to do it and move on um, because they think that's, you know, what's maybe it's good for the company, maybe it's just good for them, um, and those are the ones that are hard to work for. Um, right. You know, I think... It's, there's lots of people who have been in management positions not because they're really providing value, just because they've been there for a long time. Um, and maybe this is my first true millennial thing to say, is that I don't think age necessarily is the reason someone is, is good. Um, you know, experience can be really valuable, and I've 
certainly learned over the last five years that I thought I was better than I was at, at 25, and I've learned a lot more to, at being 30. But just because someone is 10 years older than me doesn't mean they know something I don't. Um, so they probably do, but it's one of those things. I want to see a manager who understands why they provide value and not just assuming they're, they know more or can tell me what is important because they're older. Okay. It reminds me of a conversation we had with um, a leader at a company at the time called Zetabox. His name was Jim, where he said he started three technology companies that were very engineering oriented, and he knows absolutely zero about technology or about engineering. But he did make it his business to go down and sit with the programmers or the whoever, the engineers, and say, show me your day. Tell me what's frustrating you. Tell me what it takes for you to get your work done. He said, I'm not trying to understand their world in order to do it, but I want to show I care and I need to understand the complexities of it. Is that the kind of thing that would then appeal to you? Would that work for you? Absolutely. I mean, I think there are there are things I've spent a lot of my career working on. You know, you talked about it being a mouthful in my bio. Like I probably know more about healthcare analytics and statistics than many managers I will have, um, and more about the algorithms to, you know, generate results or predictive models. And that's great. I don't want a manager who understands that better than me, because that's just a, a duplication of effort. What I do want is someone who appreciates that I have spent time learning that, um, and I care about it and am, can be the expert, even though they may be 10 years older than me and have a lot more experience on what it takes to run a company and how to build it they should respect my expertise and that my ideas are going to be valuable there. Great. And it's not just because of age. That can come at any age because you spent the time dedicated to that one. Okay. All right. So we get managers that care about you as a person. And I like how you said that. That's put, everybody says that. But you said you want them to care not just about the job you're doing, but about your holistic interest, the things that you're interested in outside of just getting the job done. And that makes it a sense of authentic caring as opposed to just how was your weekend or go home to your family. So what matters to you? Okay. And then a manager who's really willing to understand what you know and bring and maybe know better than they do and be okay about that and also understanding how they add value and then appreciate what it takes for you to do the work that you do. Okay, fair enough. All right, let me bring in um, Kirsten Lundquist. And Kirsten is currently product manager, uh, product market manager at Patient Ping. Kirsten, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Um, so I have a somewhat similar background to Alex. So I'm also working in the health tech space right now in a product marketing role at Patient Ping. Uh, Patient Ping is about 140 employees, uh, so a little bit bigger than Algorex, uh, but we're a Series C health technology startup where we're all about uh, enabling care coordination with a, a nationally uh, linked care coordination platform across many stakeholders in the healthcare space. Um, I also hold, uh, well, I have completed my MBA from MIT Sloan uh, and have a uh, previous career experience working as a healthcare management consulting uh, consultant at Putnam Associates, as well as working at a larger pharmaceutical company, Santa Fe Genzyme, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay, fabulous. And what do you do for fun? 
I am also an ultimate frisbee player. Um, uh, I play competitively and do travel for ultimate frisbee. I really enjoy hiking and camping and backpacking. I uh, really enjoy playing pickup soccer. I basically enjoy most things active and outdoors outside of my working life. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Well, tell us, what do you like in a manager? What do managers and companies do that keep you motivated and excited? Yeah. Um, a lot of what Alex said really resonated with me. I think um, the one thing that I would, would launch off of that and add to is um, a manager that understands the boundaries between work and life. Uh, I think that's really important to me and understands when is it appropriate to have those two things uh, intersect and when is it not? Uh, I think one thing that is really great and has changed about work since um, you know last couple of years with technology advances has been it has enabled a lot of people to work remotely and work from home, but it also means that we are constantly connected to work and constantly available via technology. So having a understanding with you and your manager of when and when you are both available for work and when you're available for um, just general life and, and can take a step away from work is incredibly important to me to have, make sure that you are aligned and, and under, have a good understanding of that. Because uh, that, I find, has been a major source of friction in a lot of my managerial relationships. Uh, and additionally, one thing that I, I really, really care about is if a manager not only cares about me, but actually cares about my development uh, from a work sense. I think I've had a lot of managers that care about my output and my business um, impact of what I do, but they don't necessarily care about my development as a professional. And I think that a manager that objectively cares and, and demonstrates that they care about my development and showcasing my ability to the organization I'm in to ensure my development at that organization is something that really is impactful and really matters to me. Okay. So give me an example. Like, I find managers really struggling with this question about how do I help you develop? I mean, many of your managers are working on their own careers, trying to progress their own careers, not getting an awful lot of guidance themselves. And they're going to turn around and say, well, what am I supposed to be doing to help you with development? And the current mantra is you have to take care of your own career today. So what does that really look like when somebody's caring about your development, not just your output? Yeah, I think it's a a difficult nut to crack. I think that the managers who have demonstrated that they do care, it's its very much a conversation, and it's a conversation that doesn't happen just once at my annual review. It happens periodically throughout the year during check-ins where they're working with me to understand my goals, where do I want to go, and then they're understanding what objective and discrete steps can they take to help me get there, and what do they need to do from an organizational standpoint? Who do they need to expose me to to make sure that those achievements are are reached and appreciated at the organizational level? Okay. Okay. So a lot of this is about making sure that they're giving you the right exposure across the organization, and that might be showcasing at work, but it could also be introducing you to people who could be useful to you in your career. Did I get that straight? I think so. Okay. So go ahead. I'd love to add something there that I think one of those things that I've had from managers on caring about personal development is the just the hard conversations or the you know the communication one on one being about real feedback mattering a lot. Um, I think it's easy to have your one on one check in even if you do it every week. Um, that can be about tactical day to day things, um, and it's we all know it's hard to have an honest conversation around where are their growth areas. 
Um, and it's easy to say, oh, think bigger picture, right? I've, I've had a lot of managers who say, you just need to be strategic. Um, and that's obviously not super helpful. So I think taking just being present in the conversation that's a one-on-one, being willing to carve out a little bit of time when those happen to say, this is the thing you actually need to work on. And when you were in this presentation and you described um, the, the company objective in this way, it was not as high level as we wanted to. You know, those specific examples matter. And that takes a little bit of preparation, um, but is more just a little bit of, can be uncomfortable for managers. I, certainly it's uncomfortable for me to have those conversations with people. Um, the, one, the managers I've liked the most and thought cared the most about my development were the ones who were willing to have those with me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that dovetails nicely what we were saying about demonstrating that you just don't care about output. If your one-on-ones are all about tactical things, that points to caring about output. If you do carve out time and, and thought and dedication to some of those development areas with discrete examples or action plans, then that demonstrates that my, my manager actually cares. Cares about me. Okay. Now, one of the things that uh, the managers that I interact with are going to say about millennials is that you only want praise. You don't ever want negative feedback. You're not willing to take the criticism. What's your response to that? Uh, I think everyone likes praise. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I would say that even things that, that we said already in this conversation, our, our last discussion point centered around having hard conversations. I think most professionals want to have those real feedback conversations and want to know where your areas for growth and where what you can improve on. And if you don't have those frank discussions where you can learn about your deficiencies with a the manager, then, then you don't develop and you meet some of you don't meet some of those goals that we were talking about just a couple minutes ago. I would say too that some of the some of, I would guess some of that comes from giving feedback or criticism that's I would call lazy. Um, you know, saying oh, you'll learn or you're developing just fine and then passing someone up for a promotion is one of those examples of, you know, you didn't really give feedback, so clearly I could just say you wanted praise um, versus giving a, a real difference of why this is deficient, why this matters, shows that it was thought out and is really meaningful. Um, the, the criticism that's just a, you know, you'll get there or it needs to be better isn't valuable and comes off as kind of lazy and not useful. So I'd, I'd certainly rather have praise than lazy criticism because at least I get a temporary yeah. ego boost. Um, <laughs> but real criticism is one with someone I have a relationship with is something that I find to be the most valuable kind of communication I can get. Um, so I would certainly not agree with that statement if it is well thought out. Um, but the I don't know. I don't know actually sure where that came from, but it's one of those, you know, I think if there's real communication, it, it matters. And most people I know would love that kind of communication, even if it's hard. It just has to be done thoughtfully because it is hard. Um, and doing yeah. it lazily makes it yeah. more toxic. It's, um, I think you said two things in that one that are really important to highlight. One is that it is with a relationship. So it's in the context of I care about you as a whole person. So that takes one tone as opposed to I only care about your feedback, I mean, your output, and then I'm going to give you this really harsh criticism. That it, That's a different tone to it. But I think you're right about the lazy feedback because I think too often as managers, we use uh, business phrases like being strategic, you said earlier, or um, raising your profile or increasing your visibility or something, you know, more communication, none of that tells you anything specific to actually work on it, leaves it a guessing game. Um, So I think that's what you're highlighting here about giving you that real meaningful, even if it is hard, feedback. 
I would okay. go further to say what you just said is fundamentally kind of meaningless. It, once you get into that high-level jargon, it just it starts to mean nothing, um, which isn't helpful for anyone. Okay. All right. And then the other thing you said is it can't just be at year-end or at mid-year performance. This has to be sort of an ongoing conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I know you talk about on your show and everyone loves to talk about how the world just moves faster, right? Technology means we're having, we're communicating constantly. Things, industries are changing. You know, it seems like overnight, certainly we talk about it changing overnight, whether or not that's true, we can debate. But end of year, um, the company is in a different place and I'm in a different place. And I've, like I've developed as a person, the company has a new goal. So end of year feedback just isn't enough. Um, and I know it's hard to do it. You know, if you did it every week, it would probably be overkill. Doing it every quarter takes a full six, 360 review, takes a lot of time and effort. So I understand those trade-offs, but even just that, that one-on-one conversation with your manager that's a little more casual happening regularly is, is really valuable because things, things have just changed too much in a year for it to be relevant anymore. And in, increased um, frequency of those will enable specificity and feedback. So if you do it once a year, you're going to forget all those discrete learning examples that you could bring up to really hammer home that those points of and areas of development and growth for an employee. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right, Kirsten, I want to come back to something you said, which is also a hot topic among managers, and this has this notion of balance in life. Um, you often say work-life, and I'm a fond of saying work and non-work. They're all part of life. So you said you really like a manager that understands the boundaries and where there's an intersection and that's okay and then where it's not okay. Uh, Tell me a bit more about what works in your view to establish those. Because from a manager's point of view, I've got a client or a customer who is 24-7 unrelenting. I've got a competitor who's going to take it if we don't deliver it. I'm feeling that pressure day in and day out and perhaps living an unbalanced life uh, what am I supposed to do? Give me some advice on what that how, what looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a that's a hard problem, especially for for companies that are in the service industry. I mean, I, I worked in a management consulting firm. I I understand that balance acutely, where you're getting a client email and they expect something to be turned around in a matter of hours, no matter when they send it to you. Um, but I I think from if you look at the overall health of a company and development of employees, and then also eventual value to a company. If you do have that understanding and you know it's okay if there are some periods that are that are more aggressive, maybe we're getting to the end of uh, a, a project or you know we have a, a deal that's closing or whatever. I think having periods of, of higher intensity where I may have to work on weekends or work super late is fine. Um, but if there's there's no understanding that that is temporary or that that isn't steady state and that I'm available at any time of the day, I, I think very, very few people in this world um, and very few millennials wouldn't burn out in that scenario. And I think at a company, and I, I saw this in my management consulting experience, making sure that, that your valuable employees that have ramped up and are extremely valuable to your organization don't burn out. Uh, I think is incredibly valuable to companies. And so understanding where those boundaries are and having that not result in burnout and turnover, I think is over the long run uh, a more successful strategy for the company as a whole. Yeah. Well, and as I've said several times, there's very solid data to say at the moment that customers are choosing brands, being loyal to brands that they believe treat their employees well. 
that will change the equation because if we see people treating employees badly, then, you know, we don't want to buy those brands. Um, so how do we get there? I mean, you know, you're describing a life where we have, can be aggressive at some periods where you can work super late or work weekends. You understand that need, but it can't be a steady state. It can't be every weekend. It can't be every night. And presumably, there's just not a formula to that. So this is just down to having an honest conversation about what's going to work for each side. I think so. One of the things that my current manager did with me, which was really helpful, is that he shared his working style. He said to me, you know, usually I will work for half the day on Sunday as my normal cadence because it's a good time for me to catch up on work. If I send you stuff, if it's not urgent, uh, I don't expect you to respond. And then I could have an honest conversation and say, if there's not something pressing, then then my my bias and my style is to be able to turn off for, for those two full days for Saturday and Sunday, so I'm fresh and ready to hit the ground running on Monday. So I think being open and honest about what your working styles are and, and what you need to make sure you're fresh and can commit and, and can can work at your best for both your own development and for the company's output, I think is the, the best way. But it's a hard problem. There's no easy fix. But I think yeah. having a, an honest conversation about it goes a long way. Yeah. And we're back to caring about the whole person and understanding about the whole person. Okay. Um, to either of you that want to answer this, anything else that annoys you about managers? Um. Uh, so I'll, I'll jump in and say, I think from a, a company and manager perspective, and this is partly what Kirsten was saying, is the kind of asking for the sacrifice or the sprint. You know, we in the tech world, we love the term the sprint as part of the agile methodology. And I think using, just buying into that process and sort of trusting the structure to do that, you know, we, we sprint every other week, right? Um, and that's not something we can possibly do. Um, you know, it's great to sacrifice sometimes, but it's not one you can do always. You know, I think, but on that, to, to answer your question more directly, I am frustrated when we buy into the system or the, like, the process behind it without thinking about why it exists or what the actual output is. Um, you know, I think managers who say, this is, we do it this way because this is how we've always done it, um, is something that annoys me. And I, you know, there's plenty of good reasons for that. Probably the process came because something went wrong and there was a well-thought-out reason, or maybe not, but at least there was some reason behind, you know, why a process exists. And understanding that, you know, from first principles is something I really appreciate and I'm willing to kind of buy in if that's the case. But I really get annoyed by managers or companies that say, we're just doing the process because we need a process or trusting the structure rather than mm-hmm. um, rather than trusting honest like honest communication and thinking about the problem again, you know, those are, there's so much more that can be done when you think about it from first principles, especially in the tech world. Um, So people who are unwilling to think that way frustrate me. Um, But, you know, anyway, I think bigger companies also, you know, we have the reason, this is part of the reason I work in small companies, but in a bigger company, it's all more about protecting the brand and protecting the output and just kind of optimizing in small areas. Um, and that's, I think that makes sense. Um, it can be really frustrating when you get stuck in the bureaucracy and can't really innovate or have to ask multiple people to buy in before you could do something new. Um, but it kind of goes back to that same point of if you don't have someone who's willing to break the rules a little bit or kind of break this, the system or process a little bit to do something new, um, it's just going to get stagnant over time and, and lose interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kirsten, you want to jump in on this one? Sure. Um, 
this is a little bit different than than a, a different thing that annoys me. I, I can definitely relate to what Alex just said. I think for me, it's frustrating when a new thing is rolled out, or a new project, or a new process, and you ask, "Why are we doing this?" And they say, "Oh, that's just industry standard," or "That's because Amazon does this." And without really thinking, "Oh, does this really fit for my business and my unique needs and my unique situation right now?" I think I've, that is definitely frustrating. I think another thing that annoys me about a manager is. Um, if I see my manager in my one-on-one time is fundamentally helping me prioritize what I should be doing and having a two-way street of understanding and having a strategic trade-off decision about what I could be doing. So if a manager is just top-down directing projects to me and I find that I'm just a cog in the machine, that's that's not something that's a fulfilling experience for me. If I feel like I'm having a two-way street about the pros and cons of different things I could be doing and opportunity costs of different action plans, then that's a more meaningful experience for me. And my manager should have that higher-level lens of knowing about what else in other areas of the company is going on and so can inform those trade-off discussions at a higher level. So I think a manager that, that doesn't give me that visibility and isn't willing to meet me halfway as a strategic partner in deciding how I spend my time is something that's frustrating to me. Okay. But what about managers who say, look, you're the bottom of the totem pole, like it or not like it. I need you to just do this. And I realize it's a menial task, but it has to get done. How do we deal? How do you prefer managers to deal with that kind of a scenario? I think be upfront about it. You know, if, if there's a convincing reason, like, hey, we really need someone to, you know, do this grunt work and there's a compelling reason, then our response is going to be, okay. Um, I don't know if Alex is right. I, I think in the same way we were talking about sacrifice, like it's it's great to be asked. It's honestly a really positive thing in a, any relationship with a company or manager or friend if they ask you to sacrifice for them. Um, so if that's if it's a conversation of like, hey, I know this isn't fun, um, but I need you to do this task because you're the best equipped to do it, or maybe it's just because we pay you the least and that's the most cost-effective for the company. Um, that's an honest answer and one that we're really happy to help. You know, I think being at a company, it's not because we don't want to do good work or provide value to the company. It's just if it's assigned something that seems like BS work that's kind of worthless, then why would we do it? Um, I think that's so, uh, you know, this is a theme that's been running through is honest conversation or honest communication tends to go a long way on most things um, that there's a reason for it. If there's a reason for it, I think we're happy to buy in and happy to do annoying pieces of work as long as it's not all the time. um, And there is some reason behind it. Yeah, I can give you a discrete example right now. I mean, both of us actually have recently said, our company said, we'd like you to show up at this industry conference. You know, when you have to travel for that, it may not be the most rewarding experience to man a booth at a conference, but it's something that needs to be done, and we have a good skill set to do it and good knowledge of the company, and we're happy to do it. Okay, fair enough. I think what's in, what's striking me interestingly about this one is one of the things that many people will say about your generation is that you don't know how to have relationships. But yet the theme throughout this entire thing is about the relationship you have with your manager and the honesty of the conversation, the genuineness of the conversation of what happens there. That's interesting. Let's take a break and we'll come back to pick up with that. So today my guests are Alex Trahey and Kirsten Lindquist. Alex is at Algorex and Kirsten is at Patient Ping. And we'll be right back. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. Our feature today is two millennials, Alex Trahey and Kirsten Lundquist, both in their early 30s. I think I have that number correct or close around that range. And we've been talking about what they want out of their managers and their employees. And a summary I'll come to in the whole thing at the beginning is it is really care about me as a whole person and my interest, not just my output, and care about my development. And what that means is we're going to have a stronger relationship. We're going to do more than ask, how was my weekend? And it means that we're going to have some hard conversations about feedback, not lazy ones. And that means you're going to talk to me about where my career is going and what I need to be doing. And we're going to talk about the boundaries of what's enough and what's too much. And I really like the agile methodology this notion of you can ask for a sacrifice or a sprint, but you can't do that all the time if you want to keep your really valuable employees engaged, motivated, fresh, at their best, and committed. And I don't think we can say it any better than that. 
Now, as we're closing that last segment, I made a statement that one of the comments that I hear all the time about your generation is that you spend so much time on your phones that we watch you see being at dinner and you're sitting on your phone and you're not talking and therefore you don't know how to relate to other people. Do you want to react to that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, certainly the, the medium we communicate through is different in our generation. And I think this shows up with us versus, you know, our younger teammates in Ultimate Frisbee who are 18 to 21 right now. You know, communication styles and mediums are, are different in every generation. And I think understanding those and understanding that, that we do want to communicate and we do want to have a relationship is consistent across every person I've ever met. Um, but how they do it and how they communicate that to someone else is very different. So, you know, I think the example that I often see is the, the email versus Slack versus text message versus in person um, in, in workplace now, where, you know, I think often managers of an older generation will send an email that to me sounds terse um, and not well, you know, not particularly friendly because it doesn't involve any emojis, right? Which is a pretty silly thing to say. Um, <laughs> But, you know, direct text messages that we're used to sending do have a lot of emotions embedded because we're so used to communicating that way that we know that those emotions do have to be communicated. Um, and we do them with, you know, maybe a questionable way and, and emojis, right? Like, it's not a perfect way to do it, but it, it is different. Um, so those emotions matter and those, you know, understanding that there's happiness or sadness or anger in a given message. Um, typically, if you get a text message that just says, you know, thank you for sending this, period, right? The, that's not saying, doesn't really imply that you are thankful um, versus adding a, a smiley face to the end of it does imply that you have some positive emotion associated with it and I think makes it a little bit easier to build a relationship. So, you know, I think to your point, we, we do want those relationships with people. We do want to communicate. Um, the style is different and I think spending a little bit more time thinking about the method of doing it and how to communicate makes a big difference. And, you know, there's probably things we have to learn, too, on how to do that in person. You know, a lot of our communications happen through the phone, um, which comes with its flaws, for sure. Um, but, you know, there are, there are more avenues, or there are ways to improve that um, for, I think, the older generation, and there's also ways to improve our kind of in-person or, or presence um, from our generation. Okay, fair enough. Kirsten, do you have anything to add on that one? I do, um, and it's not necessarily something that's technology-focused. I, I reacted to something that Alex just said there, um, where he said, you know, if you just receive an email that says thank you, but it does include a smiley face or exclamation points. I think, unrelated to technology, I've had many managers in, in my past, I can think of a lot of partners in my consulting firms, where I had a really, really tough project where I was burning the midnight oil, working really hard, pushed a deliverable out over the line, and I never received any thank you whatsoever. And I think that is such a small lift for managers, and I think millennials, I mean, it, it somewhat dovetails with your praise comment, um, but just a, a, a verbal recognition of, of effort and time or achievement, whatever way that is, I think goes a huge way, uh, a long way. If someone just emails me and they just email, email me thank you, I think that goes such a long way with me versus just hearing nothing. Um, and it's such a light lift for managers to do. Um, and maybe the, the, the how they do it and how they express it, and maybe they, you know, I think 
it does dovetail with technology in that we're used to now getting instant feedback on a lot of things, whether that's through our phones or through Slacks or whatever. So the, the absence of the thank you hurts that much more, given how connected we are with technology. I, I would I would add to that that I think we both recognize that it sounds a little me yeah. um, to say this, and you know I'm sure many of your listeners will say, oh, these millennials they just want smiley faces after their emails, and you have to get the thank you every single time. But you know that's kind of how we're brought up to communicate. Like Kirsten was saying, we we communicate back and forth on a second to second basis, um, and you can get that in person. But when there's a, a digital divide and one side is trying to put that effort in and the other side isn't, it can lead to a disconnect. And I think that's where your point around, you know, the older generation says millennials just need more praise, need more communication. Probably that's true, um, but it, it's more of just a, a disconnect in communication rather than a difference in needs underneath it. Okay, okay. I think everybody needs a praise. There was a piece of research, I think it was Pew Foundation Research, um, Vanessa Van Edwards was citing this one, saying that if you look at generations, Every generation wants just as much praise as the other generation. The difference is Gen X's have gotten used to not getting it. So they're not giving it. I would also say baby boomers the same. (laughs) Then you guys are coming along saying, no, wait a minute, hold on here. It's interesting. All right, I have to confess, I get to the value of different – it's one of the things that I – Uh, harangue about all the time every medium we have for communication has its role and its purpose and we often mix them up some are good for one thing and some are not good for other things and we just kind of like don't stop to think about that but I will confess I never really stop to think that emojis actually convey emotion as much as words do interesting I'll rethink that one in my further communications. Thank you very much. Okay. And I like your point that it's really around just understanding what is the method and what's the style. What really makes sense for that person or for me? Okay. What, is there any, I, any other comment? Let me give you, a, yeah. me ahead, give you a statistic that I found really powerful on the emojis. Um, so I worked, my prior company was at a, um, a disease management platform and kind of a, a HIPAA compliant um, or secure text messaging platform between nurses and patients. And we did a study of what mess- what kinds of messages were most likely to generate a response. Um, you're sending text messages about pretty sensitive pieces. Messages that had emojis in them were about 30% more likely to receive a response than those without. And that that was a absurd, absurdly high number for us. We're like, there's no way this is true. But when you're talking about something scary or hard, um, having a little bit of levity in it with a smiley face or something, you know, related to the message, a piece of, you know, a glass of wine or otherwise, like it seems really silly, um, but it it conveys that there's a real human on the other side um, and makes a big difference in patients' willingness to respond. Um, And I think that probably, these are people who are 65 plus who are, you know, super unhealthy. So I think that is just a need for human communication to know that there is some emotion in it because we're used, you know, in person we can read people's faces, but digitally we can't. Um, so it matters a lot, and it shows up in the data. Okay. Yeah, and what he just said there was important. He's dealing with chronic disease populations that are in their 60s. This isn't just yeah. communicating to millennials. It's something that people across generations can respond right. to. All right. Well, and the underlying thing is to recognize that there is emotion in this, and can we find a way of expressing it in a way that the audience receives and responds well to? Okay, so let's turn the tide to this whole notion of social media in general. 
And, you know, I, I hear companies sometimes say, oh, we have to have all of these technology platforms because that's what it's going to take to recruit and retain millennials. And Alex, I know you have a particular view about social media and the impact of social media. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the company brand one aside, social media is a tough influence on us. And we're, we're just so used to seeing everyone posting their pictures of their, you know, perfectly curated life maybe, but they're going on adventures. They're going, they're having the ideal job. They're, you know, they're posting about the, the crazy adventure they went on to Europe or to South America and went backpacking for two weeks and they just jumped to a new job and they're posting about it and how amazing it is and how this company is the best company in the world and everyone should come work there. And it's probably because they want a referral bonus and they were asked by their HR person to post on social media. But when you get that from all sides, it means that there's this constant pressure that, you know, maybe the grass is greener, right? That my company, every company has its warts. Um, and I think recognizing that is important, but it's so easy to think there's another option out there when you see it constantly. And part of this is the, the work-life integration or the work-non-work, however we want to phrase that. Um, you know, there's people going on crazy adventures around the world and posting it on social media, and it makes it pretty hard to be satisfied with doing menial work in the office. Um, we're thinking, you know, I, I'm just going to sit here at 9 to 5 when my friends are doing these crazy things. When they're probably doing the same thing most of the time, we just don't see it. You know, it, it's just too easy to suck in all these different options. Um, that work that isn't interesting anymore becomes that much worse when otherwise, I think in previous generations, when it wasn't in your face, you were kind of, everyone was in the same boat. And it feels a lot better when everyone's stuck in the same nine to five job than when you think that everyone else is living a much better life than you out adventuring and having the perfect work-life balance and getting paid twice as much, even though that's really only a small subset of the, the curated view on social media. Okay, okay. All right, so that means we're right back to where we started from, which is the need to have an honest relationship and a set of honest conversations and a manager that cares about you as a whole person and is willing to give you some feedback that helps you develop that and explain why we're doing what we're doing, that those are the pieces that are going to make it palatable to continue in the job. Um, I also know, Alex, you have a view about the ability to move, and Kirsten, you too on this one. It strikes me that at the moment, it's a very uh, hot job market. It's relatively easy to move. And one of the complaints you hear all the time from managers is there's no stick to from your generation. There's no commitment to be here for the long term. So why should I invest in you? What's your response to that? Yeah, I'll start with that. I mean, I think there's some truth to that, right? Uh, there's, it is very easy to move. Um, and part of this is the seeing the social media with many other options out there makes it seem worse. LinkedIn, opportunity, in-mail every other day. Yeah. Right. It's coming at you from all directions to try to move. Um, and there's this expectation that you, you can jump or, you, you know, it takes often three to four weeks to find a new job and start it. Um, and that, you know, maybe that's just a hot job market, right, and especially being in technology. But it – so I think there's, a, there's truth to that complaint where – there's no real reason to stick through it, um, which I think to me makes it those that like loyalty and relationship matter more because when you have a real relationship with someone and they care about your development, it's a lot easier to want to invest in it than when it's just a job and you're just showing up for output. There's plenty of other places I can go to just create output and you know who knows what kind of better options there are. 
Yeah, Kirsten? Yeah, and I, I guess the other point is, and I, I think Kirsten may have thought about this a little bit more, but, you know, there's not a lot of transparency around salary, so it, it's kind of hard to know what to think about what you're getting paid now. You certainly don't want to, like, pick exclusively on salary, but people are always, you know, bragging about a higher salary if they have it, or maybe it's out there somewhere. So. Yeah, I, I would add to that, and the current... Uh, compensation setup in, in our workforce is that if you are purely, purely just wanting to maximize your compensation, your incentive, employees are incentivized to leave every couple of years because the biggest pay raises that you can get as an employee is by starting with a new employer versus working your way up within one institution or one organization. And it, it, if, if you feel like you're just producing output, then why don't I just move companies and continue to produce output or possibly have a better, more meaningful relationship with the company and my manager and get a huge pay increase? I think companies need to rethink about how they reward um, their, how they reward and build meaningful relationships with their high performers because it is so, so worthwhile for them to continue to keep them engaged and keep them there because if they have to hire out, they not only have to ramp up someone who ramp up someone that's untested, but they're likely going to have to pay them more because they're going to have to pay a premium to hire externally versus promoting from within. I've said this for ages, both in looking at gender and, you know, women moving as well as in looking at retention rates, that it if you take somebody's salary that you're going to replace and multiply by two and a half, because that's the running average of what it cost to lose that person, bring somebody else in, recruit them, train them, get them up to speed, et cetera, about two and a half times salary. That's a lot of money going straight to the bottom line if you have your best talent walking out the door too often. Um, And it's worthwhile paying attention. So having said that now, what does an employer do that's going to really make it attractive? Do you have any ideas on this getting the reward equation right? I personally, and I, I don't know that I have research to support this, think it's about transparency. Um, you know, I think the there's always this kind of undertone of you think HR is trying to screw you by not sharing it or not giving you a fair salary. So having some basis in here's what your market rate is and here's what we're going to pay um, and the willingness to adjust it based on, you know, if there, there's probably bans by HR. You know, they have they have a salary for that. Um, position you're in and based on performance reviews, they probably have a formula. Being willing to share that makes a big difference to know that it is fair. I mean, maybe it's the wrong policy and that and then it needs to change, but it's it's so tough to think they won't tell me why it's this. Um, I can probably get something more somewhere else, so why would I trust you? Um, I think the other piece that I'll add there is just on frequency. You know, if you wait till the end of the year, we talked about waiting till the end of the year um, to do your performance review and then maybe get a raise or not, and then it's probably just on quarter, like the end of year financials for the company. I think that's all a fine process, but it's a lot faster to go to a new job at a new company than it is to wait till the end of the year to get a raise, which is a bad incentive, but one I think companies have to rethink how fast they make those adjustments um, mm-hmm. if the market is moving that fast. Yeah, I'd echo that transparency comment. I don't think it needs to get down to the level of granularity where I need to know exactly how much I make and how much exactly everyone else at my level and the next level up and the next level down make at the company, but understanding what those bands are and and at people at my level, what is the range? How do I fall into that range? And how does my performance impact my placement? Um, 
I think that that would go a long way, um, yeah. and it would be really nice uh, to make sure that I know that, that I, it's not, often the reaction is an emotional one. It's not necessarily the objective amount that you're getting paid. It's often, do I feel like I'm being fairly compensated for the work that I do based on my reference points internally with people at my level and my reference point about the market average, and I don't want to feel taken advantage of just because I may have come in at a lower level to begin with. You know, I, I hear horror stories of people at a bunch of companies where they found out that their direct reports make more than they do. And you never want to get in a situation like that because that's horribly demotivating to an employee. Yeah, I've certainly seen that one. Um, just for the record, almost every large corporation does indeed pay have a band and they put people in that band and they work very, very hard on the global scale to make the, that sure that that band is pretty consistent because otherwise you're setting yourself up for some nightmare problems. Um if there's ever a challenge of that in the courts. So that does exist. What I find fascinating is the unwillingness to be transparent about what they're doing and the fear of what that creates in terms of challenges and pressures and so on. But I think you're right to say, well, okay, so then you're setting up the equation for me to walk out the door. So which side of this do you want to play on? Okay. Fabulous conversations, the two of you. We have literally one minute left. Any last thing you want to say, Alex? Um, I don't think so. I, I appreciate the conversation. I think there's you know, a bunch of different things we could say about millennials, and certainly there's our complaints about the older generation. I think really getting down to, to honest communication is what I want out of companies, and I'd love to see more companies be a little bit more transparent with their employees and care a little bit more about them as people um, rather than just output. Um, and hopefully, you know, our generation will, will push on that just enough to make it happen. Hope so. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think like, it relates to something that Alex said before. We have options, so we want to make sure that we're, we're being challenged and, and having meaningful uh, work opportunities and relationships where we are and where we spend most of our days. Okay, fabulous. All right. Well, my guest today, Alex Trahey, who's at Algorex in Boston, Kirsten Lundquist, who's at Patient Ping. And Alex, um, I offered to for you to make a pitch about Algorex if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to find us, we're at algorexhealth.com. That's A-L-G-O-R-E-X, health.com. Um, hiring, looking for other opportunities in the, in the data science space. We'd love to talk to you if you want to find us. Okay. And Kirsten, I'll give you the same option. Sure, yeah, we're Patient Ping. Uh, you can find us at patientping.com. Uh, so P A T I E N T P I N G.com. Uh, similarly, hiring amongst uh, a lot of different uh, opportunities at the company. Engineers, always looking for engineers, like every company, uh, and a, a number of different business functions. So check us out if you're interested. Diamonds. All right. Thank you, guys. I think the highlight for me is just this no- I, I'm stuck on this notion of transparency. Because that is what it is that makes the core all the way through in terms of the honest communications. It goes through the feedback conversation. It goes through the salary conversation. And certainly we'll say, at least for the two of you representing your generation, it is about the relationship at the end of the day. Thank you both. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.